Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome to Understanding the Human Condition with your host, Dr. James Flowers. Hey, Robin. Hey, you. How are you? I'm good. How are good. you? I'm super, super excited today about our topic. Yes. Yep. And our, and our guest, you want to introduce? Yes, we have John Huckabee. From the AIDS Foundation of Houston. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank, Thank you, you for, for joining me. us. Yeah. yeah. I have a little bio I wanted to read, and then we can get started with some good conversation. Sure. Okay, great. John Huckabee is a chief executive officer of AIDS Foundation Houston. He was first introduced to the AIDS Foundation in Houston in 1991, where he began his nonprofit career as a case manager when the agency was less than 10 years old. He has served in various capacities, including case manager, director of client services, director of volunteer services, and chief planning officer. He returned to the AIDS Foundation in Houston to serve in his current role in May of 2019. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. You know, when I first read that, I was thinking, gosh, he's been there since 1991. But you actually haven't been there since 1991. You kind of worked as a case manager and then went on to do other things and then came back. That's right. But you've certainly served in a broad role. That's very cool. Gosh, we were just talking before the podcast 30 years ago, right, and how things have changed uh, in the HIV world, in the world of HIV. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to our good friend, Dr. Shannon Schrader, uh, earlier today about doing this. And he was so excited that we were doing this together today and talking about the changes as a physician that he's seen, right? You know, Dr. Schrader started out uh, as an HIV uh, and AIDS physician, seeing patients in the hospital every day, you know, mm-hmm. and patients dying every day. And now his practice is virtually uh, internal medicine practice for the general population because there's no, uh, it's not like it was, I'll say. Right. Yeah. Pretty amazing. How things have changed. Yeah. Um, Tell us about AIDS Foundation Houston. Uh, Certainly a cause passionate in in my life and uh, I'm very familiar with AIDS Foundation Houston, but I want our audience to know uh, from you. Tell us about uh, AIDS. AFH. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so we were founded in 1982. So as you know, that's about one year after the first diagnoses here in the United States. And really, we came to be because a group of Houstonians mm-hmm. were passionate about something has to be done, right? We, we weren't seeing the, the effort on the federal level to really uh, push out uh, resources and information uh, around this new unexplained virus that was affecting so many in our communities. And so they got together and, and it was their passion that, that gave birth to AIDS Foundation Houston. We've been operating ever since. And we're in our 40th year. And um, it's all about um, 
information, education, resources, reaching out to those who are vulnerable, uh, and making sure that they have equitable access to care. Yeah, absolutely. How did your passion uh, for uh, AIDS Foundation Houston and working in this environment, tell me about that. You and I were talking a little bit before the podcast of, of what life was like in the 80s yes. for us, but go ahead and tell me a story about your passion and how you got to where you are today here. Yes, as a young 20-something uh, growing up in the 1980s and, and really coming of age just as we were learning about mm -hmm. HIV and the, the terror, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the fear that we all experienced uh, mm -hmm. at that time and, and knowing people in my life, friends, uh, people who are close to my family uh, diagnosed with HIV and seeing the trajectory of the of the mm -hmm. disease in their yeah. lives and watching them die had such a profound effect on me personally. And I, I, uh, I, I remember uh, the night that someone very close to our family died. Um, I was with uh, his partner uh, that night, all night long, and, and just seeing firsthand the devastation mm -hmm. that HIV had brought to that family unit. And, and I remember waking up the next day and thinking, I need to do something. I need to get involved in mm -hmm. this fight. Yeah. Um, and that's what gave birth to many, many years now of, yeah. of working in the field and working alongside so many allies and advocates and activists mm -hmm. who have been so critical in moving the needle. Yeah. Well, it's amazing, amazing work that you do. And it's even more amazing for me to read uh, something that you want to talk about that is, and what does it mean to end the HIV epidemic and how is that possible? That's because right. Again, years ago, we would have thought that's not even possible, but it is now. You know, we used to sign all of our letters until it's over, until it's over, mm -hmm. right? Back in the 90s, we used to sign yeah. our letters until mm -hmm. it's over. Yeah. It was an aspiration. It was something mm -hmm. that we hoped for. Our mission is to end the HIV epidemic in the Houston area. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what does that mean? So are we talking about eliminating HIV altogether? Well, hopefully one day, yes. Mm -hmm. But we can, we can end the epidemic even without ending the presence of HIV, right? Mm -hmm. And we have this uh, very current example that we're living through right now with COVID. Mm -hmm. Basically what this means is you start from a baseline in 2019. We have about 1,200 new confirmed cases each year in the mm -hmm. Houston area. You start with that baseline and you reduce that by 90%. That's the goal by 2030 is to reduce that by 90%. When you take the viral burden in a community and you reduce it so much, you are able to finally do your contact tracing and your containment so that you're actually not having uncontrolled community spread. That would be an indicator of ending the epidemic. It's amazing. Now you said 1,200 new cases a year just here in Houston just here in the Houston yeah. area yeah. that's correct. I actually thought that I was I said that because I thought you were gonna say much higher than that but it, it's still a lot right well obviously yeah. yes it's come down so 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 here's sort of the historical perspective on that I mean we used to have thousands and thousands of cases yeah. each year confirmed cases Many. we've come down we've plateaued at about 1200 new cases mm -hmm. confirmed each year but the the challenge is it's plateaued. We're yeah. not seeing that continue to decline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, that mirrors the national trend where we have about 37, 38,000 yeah. new confirmed cases each year. Uh, something new in our lives is PrEP, right? And uh, I don't even know how old PrEP is now, but it's, it's newer in our lives. And I was wondering if PrEP could be one of the reasons that we're plateauing right. at 1,200, or, or is that helping it keep it at 1,200, or will it help it go down? And what your thoughts on PrEP are? Right. So, so we are in a situation where we have neither a vaccine nor a cure, right? right? And so, obviously, if you want to wipe out HIV, you want one or both of those, mm-hmm. right? In the absence of a vaccine, we do have a pill that is available to be taken once a day, mm-hmm. and it is up to 99% effective in preventing the acquisition of HIV. So when you think about COVID, for example, and mm-hmm. the approved vaccines that we have now, you're talking about 90, 95% efficacy rates. This is a hugely um, efficacious and safe once a day medication mm-hmm. that can prevent HIV. So what's the challenge? The challenge is that, well, first of all, taking a pill every day is a challenge for mm-hmm. some folks, right? but also uh, uptake. So it's a matter of getting the word out into the community, making sure that everybody, especially those most vulnerable, have access Mm -hmm. to this medication and that it's affordable and that uh, they can tolerate it. Uh, So there are lots of reasons why someone may not access it or someone may not uh, Mm -hmm. adhere to PrEP. Mm -hmm. If you look at um, the CDC modeling with regard to who would be indicated for PrEP, in a given community. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the number of people actually taking PrEP, it's a small, small fraction. Okay. So PrEP has the uh, potential to be a real game changer. Mm-hmm. The key is access and uptake. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Do you think that PrEP has had an adverse reaction uh, in the form of increased number of STIs? It can. Uh, we prescribe PrEP um, mm-hmm. at AIDS Foundation Houston. We provide it at no cost, uh, regardless of a person's insurance mm-hmm. status. For us, it's a justice issue mm-hmm. uh, that we want to make sure those most vulnerable have access. Uh, and as part of our education around PrEP, we always remind people this is not a protection against pregnancy. It mm-hmm. is not a protection against other sexually transmitted infections. Mm-hmm. And so when we test for HIV, we also test for other STIs mm-hmm. so that if there is the presence of an STI, we can treat it. Right. And what we know about uh, the common STIs, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, is that we're talking about the, the, the co-occurrence of an STI, is correlative with a greater risk of acquiring HIV. So we want to make sure that people are properly informed uh, and so that they can take additional precautions uh, to protect themselves and their loved ones. Absolutely. You know, uh, from the numbers that I read, it it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, more than 50% of the new cases of HIV these days are for people that are older than 50 years old. Hmm. What have, do you know anything about that statistic? Well, what we're seeing, uh, the, the, the statistic that I have been most alarmed by is that the fastest growing group mm-hmm. of new confirmed cases are among people ages 13 to 24. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you've got many people over 50 living with HIV, living longer, thank goodness, Mm -hmm. uh, with HIV, um, you know, complete normal lifespans today. But you have this group of young folks that were not raised in the the time that you and I were Mm -hmm. raised. They didn't Mm -hmm. see what we saw. Right. 
And so they don't have that historical memory uh, that creates that urgency for them for mm-hmm. self-care and, and prevention. So that's one of the challenges we're seeing is, is these are not perinatal infections. These are uh, infections acquired during their teen years and mm-hmm. early 20s. Got it. That's so interesting. You know, and speaking of what we saw, you know, looking back historically, and that was in the 80s, having not one friend die a week, but multiple friends yeah. die sometimes Tragedy a day, after but a week. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so amazing to see that progress and, and where we've come in the treatment. Where, where does AIDS Foundation Houston fall uh, when looking at the disparities of HIV today and lower economic status, individuals such as Hispanic and African-Americans in the South? Yes. What are you guys doing to address that? Yeah, so the, the CDC estimates that over half of all new infections uh, in the country today are happening in 50 cities, right? Wow. And Houston is one of those 50 mm-hmm. cities. And so they are really beginning to target resources in, this, in these areas, right? Uh, the, the Health Resources and Services Administration just released a study. Mm-hmm. They've been doing a longitudinal study of viral suppression rates from 2010 to 2019 among those enrolled in their program, right? So this is a good 10-year look back on viral suppression rates. And what we're talking about with viral suppression is a patient is virally suppressed when the amount of HIV in the bloodstream is so low Mm -hmm. that it's not detectable on a standard viral load test, right? So fewer than 200 copies per milliliter of blood. And so viral suppression is a really important indicator of the efficacy of treatment, adherence to treatment, access to treatment. Where do you see viral suppression rates the lowest, right? You see viral suppression rates the lowest, and it's the same here in Houston. Persons of color, mm-hmm. young people, people in the transgender communities, mm-hmm. and people with housing instability, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the medications are there. Mm-hmm. All the access is theoretically available. Mm-hmm. And yet when you look at viral suppression rates, you see the effects of the social determinants of health mm-hmm. uh, impacting uh, health outcomes. What do you think some of those social determinants are? What are you, what are you impacting health? Right. So one is stigma. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we talk about, for example, when, when we talk about HIV stigma, we're talking about those negative attitudes and beliefs yeah. about people living with HIV. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've heard this. You've heard this. This, this sounds like, uh, for example, well, um, if that person is living with HIV, they must somehow deserve it because of their lifestyle. Right. We've all heard right. uh, those messages. Um, or uh, why do you need to have an HIV test? Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of right. that mm-hmm. implication that, well, what mm-hmm. are you doing that right. you need to have an HIV right. test? All of these negative um, perceptions and attitudes can be internalized by people. And, and that creates the fear and the shame that keeps them from accessing care, Absolutely. right? Yeah. These can come from religious institutions. They can come from cultural norming. They can come from politicians mm-hmm. and, and policies. And so all of these things can perpetuate these stereotypes, these biases as a result of stereotypes that inform stigma. And so if, if you are experiencing stigma... Mm-hmm you're less likely then 
to say to your physician, hey, how about an HIV test? That's right, absolutely. I was gonna say, in fact, not only from religious uh, uh, leaders, but it also comes from your own physician sometime, right? That's your right. Your nurse, or your healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is amazing. Robin, I think you wanted to, I keep interrupting, so I'm no, gonna let well, you. No, well, I wanted to go back. Yeah. You, kept, you two kept referring to PrEP. Yeah. And so explain to the audience what you mean by PrEP. Yes. Because so, you were assuming yeah. that everyone knew what that was. Right. But not everybody does. And we throw that around so Including much. Me. And it's sure. so important. So, yeah. So for, the, for those folks listening who didn't know what you were referring to. Yes. So PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis or a short PrEP, right? Okay. And PrEP is a once a day pill uh, that can be taken by an individual who may feel they're vulnerable to acquiring HIV. So that as they take this pill once a day and they build it up in their system over several weeks, they are up to 99% protected from acquiring HIV, right? Even through uh, condomless sex, for example. Right, so, so this is a huge game changer, which, which has come around in the last five, six, seven years. That was my next question, yeah, yeah. when did this come about? And, and the, the two drugs that are available or approved by the FDA for PrEP now are Truvada uh, for men and women uh, okay. and Descovy uh, for cisgender men and uh, trans women. So, so these are um, huge resources that we didn't have 25, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. right, when we were talking about prevention. Um, and the, the, the caveat of that is that PrEP, while it's very, very good at preventing HIV, it does not offer protection from other sexually transmitted mm-hmm. infections. And so you, it's important to have the entire health conversation with the individual who's considering PrEP. Mm-hmm. And so is this something covered by insurance typically or no? Yes, it is. Uh, there is both the brand name Truvada and the generic Truvada that have come to market. Um, and then there's Discovy, the, only under the brand name. And Discovy has not yet been approved for cisgender women. So for cisgender women, we're talking about Truvada only uh, as their option. Discovy um, is, is considered to have fewer potential side effects. Um, and so trials are underway now in cisgender women for Discovy. Uh, so that hopefully that will become available to them. Insurance generally covers this with no cost sharing on the part of the patient. If the uh, patient is uninsured, then um, the, the drug maker has a patient assistance program to help make sure that they pay no out-of-pocket costs. One of the things we do is we ensure that all patients who need PrEP can access it with no cost sharing. That's awesome. And, it, and it's saving hundreds and hundreds of thousands yeah. of lives, or at least the diagnosis of HIV, right? Preventing yes. the diagnosis of HIV on hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. So prior yeah. to five to seven years ago, you know, there was wow. no real protection. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And the medications, so for someone who has HIV, have come a long way now, too. For those who do have it, keeping them alive. This is really um, exciting news. Again, you know, when <laughs> when I started case management in 1991, we had AZT. Mm-hmm. This was the one mm-hmm. drug that was Something available, um, and it it had some limited, um, you know, prolonging of of what was then the inevitable. It was a very straight line trajectory of HIV disease toward AIDS. Today, it's uh, you know we're so grateful because. HIV is no longer that one-line trajectory, right? We don't even actually use the word AIDS because 
Um, because a person can come to us, maybe they've never been tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a great percentage of people mm-hmm. who, who come for testing actually diagnose with a clinical diagnosis of AIDS because they've been living with HIV for so long, right? But because of the medications we have available today, what we call antiretroviral treatment, or ART, uh, we can bring a patient back from that clinical diagnosis of AIDS. We can uh, see wow. great restoration of the immune response and the immune system as a whole. So that now we talk more about um, HIV or late-stage HIV disease, right, if a person has progressed. But it's not linear any longer. They can mm-hmm. come back from that and achieve what we call viral suppression. And wow. viral suppression is, is a huge game-changer for people living with HIV, which is why testing is so, so important. Yeah. yeah. So that gets back to you working with the providers, you know, and just educating them. And it really starts there, right? With all the. It starts there. It starts in the prisons. We're in the prison system oh, in yeah. Texas. We want to talk about that. We do community outreach campaigns. We do testing at all the local events where people gather. Uh, so a huge emphasis on testing because one out of seven people living with HIV today don't know they have HIV. Oh, wow. So if a person is living with HIV and they don't know it, a couple of things are happening. One, they're not able to get the life-saving medications that can keep them safe and healthy. Right. And number two, they're at risk of transferring HIV to others. Are so the medication- testing is important. Are the medications uh, less expensive now than they used to be? Because I remember back in the day they always talked about how expensive the medications were to keep you alive. They were expensive and they were very hard to tolerate in terms of side effects, in terms of adherence, because you had multiple medications, some with food, some without food. and you, So it was quite a, a challenge just to adhere to mm-hmm. the medications that were available. Some HIV care regimens today are single pill, once a day regimens that the single pill contains multiple medications. And so it's a completely different um, treatment uh, plan today than it was years ago. So not only they're more tolerable, they are more affordable. And we do find that insurance is covering them. And for people without insurance, we have programs in place in the state of Texas to make sure that they can receive those medications without cost sharing. So really anyone that wants to be on medication has the ability to be on medication. Absolutely. And HIV this is the great. That's awesome. and, and I appreciate you, yeah. you really uh, putting an exclamation point on that because mm-hmm. this is the great misconception. Yes. Is that, mm-hmm. Well, those medications are out there, but how can I ever get them? Right. Well, mm-hmm. at AIDS Foundation Houston and with our partners, we're absolutely committed that you can have access to them. That's yes. the whole point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Who funds you, John? Who funds the, the AIDS Foundation of Houston? Where does that come from? Yeah. So uh, our community. Uh, you know, we're a community-based organization, and so our events, like our annual Walk to End HIV, is a huge part of that. Our annual World AIDS Day luncheon that we hold, uh, the community is a huge supporter of the work we do. Okay. We also receive funding from the from the federal government through the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. They fund um, much of our um, outreach and testing programs. Uh, The um, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development funds our supportive housing programs. And then we have uh, corporations and private foundations that fund things like our prison initiative. Uh, So it's a a whole multitude of resources coming together. It takes a community, uh, and, and that's how we do it. 
-hmm. What's the budget now in, in 2021 of AIDS Foundation Houston? Because I am sure in the last 40 years it has drastically changed. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, back when I started, we were a, a few million dollar yep. um, agency, mm -hmm. you know, prior to the Ryan White Care yep. Act uh, coming about in 1991. Uh, this year will probably be at about $12 million yep. in investments yep. in, uh, in the work that we do. That's amazing. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. What is uh, AIDS Foundation doing uh, really in the community to address co-occurring mental health issues? You know, about 40 to 75 percent of people uh, with HIV uh, have a co-occurring uh, substance use disorder. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What what uh, what do you guys do to support that? This is another one of those factors when you mentioned about why are we not seeing the numbers come down yeah. right at, at a faster level, mm -hmm. given that PrEP is so available. Mm -hmm. So persons, you know, we, as we know, persons who are suffering with substance use disorder are suffering with mental health issues. Yeah. Are, are going to have a more difficult time adhering, for example, to a daily regimen right. of PrEP, for example, mm -hmm. or of HIV treatment, for example. And so one of the things that we do is, first of all, we work very closely with the mental health providers in our community. Shout out to the Montrose Center. Mm -hmm. They've mm -hmm. been doing this work since the 1970s, and they are wonderful mm -hmm. at what they do, yeah. right? And so we work very closely with the Montrose Center, with other providers. One of the things we do, we do a lot of supportive housing mm -hmm. because we know that if someone is living with HIV and they don't have a place to live, mm -hmm. uh, the last thing on their mind uh, perhaps is going to be getting an HIV test or That's getting right. into care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've always done since 1982 is supportive housing for mm -hmm. people living with HIV. But as part of that, it's not enough just to provide the key to your front door. Right. We know that if someone is suffering from mental health or substance use disorders, that we need to be able to provide them accessible, culturally humble, affordable um, care. And so we do that directly right. uh, at all of our housing programs. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, we provide yeah. those services to them. That's great. Tell us real quick. I know we're running low we on time. You saw me look up. I saw Robin look up. <laughs> Tell us about uh, U equals U. Hmm. U equals U is an exciting resource. Uh, it's 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 known as treatment as prevention, mm -hmm. right? And so, what U equals U is is undetectable equals untransmittable. Got it. And and uh, a, a huge shout out to Dr. Bruce Richmond. Uh, who really um, uh, studied the science around this mm -hmm. and, and really um, got the World Health Organization and the CDC and other uh, public health officials to really endorse it. Mm -hmm. uh, so what this means is that a person who is living with HIV, who is on antiretroviral therapy uh, consistently, and who as a result of that treatment is able to reduce the viral burden in the body to such a level that it is no longer detectable by a, a standard test, undetectable, means that they will not be able to transfer HIV to another person yeah. through sex. Yeah. This is, when we talk about stigma, we talk about shame, we talk about fear, we talk about uh, ha helping people to have a positive view of human sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For the person living with HIV to know that U equals U means that they can have that positive, healthy, 
uh, sexual life, mm-hmm. and that they will not risk transferring HIV to someone they love. This is huge. That's mm-hmm. such a huge That's message. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. I just wanted to put a little shout out to our LGBTQ chamber, which is the reason that we met, yes. right? Especially yes. Tammy Wallace, their president, who's spectacular. She's phenomenal. Which I hope she's, she'll uh, listen to this and hear her name. But um, I wanted to thank them for bringing us together. And Absolutely. Thank you for coming yeah, on. Such an important resource in our community. One they final, really are. I have one. They are. One final. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, support services like the food camp. Food pantry. Yes. You do want to talk just a little bit about AIDS Foundation Houston and the support services. Yes, and and everything uh, can be found at our website yep. um, at aidshelp.org. Okay. But yes, so food security programs through our Stone Soup Food Pantry, six supportive housing programs, uh, each designed to serve vulnerable communities. For example, we have one uh, who is dedicated to women and trans women. We have one uh, housing program dedicated to families where one person is living with HIV. Mm -hmm. We have over 65 children living on that property right now. Mm -hmm. A summer camp for children living with HIV. Case management and benefits counseling services for persons in need. Referrals for mental health and substance use disorder treatment. Uh, Because what we know is, while we are not a medical provider, Mm -hmm. we know that so much of what drives healthcare is what happens outside of the clinic. And so what we want to do is take that person who's coming out of incarceration, for example, providing those safety net services and then linking them to care with culturally humble providers that can provide that care and give them a shot at living their best life. I love that phrase, culturally humble providers. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I, quite frankly, have not heard that yeah, for like affirming it. and what have you, but mm-hmm. I love the culturally humble phrase. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you would like to touch just in closing over the next uh, minute or so? I, thank you. I just would like for the people of our community to know that if for any reason you are uncertain about approaching your physician, your primary health uh, care provider, about um, HIV testing or STI testing or treatment, that we understand. Mm -hmm. We know the stigma that is still present in our communities. And what I want to say to you is come to AIDS Foundation Houston because you will find a safe place. Mm -hmm. You will find those culturally humble providers Uh, who will provide to you the information you need, the the HIV and STI testing you need, Mm -hmm. the prep care services that you may need, and and we will do it in a way that is affirming and that is non-judgmental and that gives you a a place where you can have the equitable access to care that you need for yourself and your loved ones. That's excellent. Mm, Thank you so much for being here today. Mm. Thank you for having me. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. And if they want to reach you by phone, I know you gave us the website. Yes. What number should they call you? You can call our main number at 713-623-6796. And the website again is? AIDSHelp.org. Perfect. And Dr. Flowers, if they want to reach you at the J. Flowers Health Institute? jflowershealth.com. Perfect. Thanks, Thank Robin. you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right.